And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by the Athletic Senior Writer, Chris Vanini. Fresh off a Michigan Daily shutout win over the, the state news of Michigan State, Chris, we are still in speaking terms, but um, I, I am very excited for you to celebrate the Michigan Dailies win in that newspaper touch football rivalry game. Yeah, we'll get to it. I know we made a wager last week. Sure uh, did. Sure to, to did. Say nice, to say a nice thing about the other newspaper. I, I didn't want to make it too, um, too big of a wager because I kind of knew the result, but we will get to that in the cheers and jeers uh, at the end of the show as promised. But just know that I'm I'm kind of doing that that meme where it's like the crying guy with the happy face mask on uh, throughout okay. this whole episode. Okay, okay, sure, sure. Well, I'm in a great mood because, you know, as we discussed last week, that rivalry game for touch football is honestly much more serious than any of the on-field football games. And we will get to plenty of the fallout from the on-field Michigan-Michigan State game uh, in just a second. A reminder here that the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed is fully in action. You can get Max Olson, Sam Khan, more of our pals throughout the week on this very feed. I will be joining Andy and Ari for the Friday preview show each week. I'm sure we'll come up with some sort of ridiculous bet for this week's games. Since we got two top 10 ones, I'm sure we'll have something there. But before we get to those shenanigans, I'm excited to bring you today's episode of Power Hour. We'll break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. And if you get a little thirsty, well, feel free to grab a beer. You've already made it to Thursday. It's good. It's all good. And in, in true Power Hour fashion, we'll start with the Power Five. We'll give ourselves one minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds and it's time to move on to the next. Number one, we got the first college football playoff rankings. These are the midseason ones. These are not complete resumes, which I think people finally understand. I think we're, is this year nine, Chris? Are we in year nine? 20, so what, 2014, so probably year eight? I think we've had eight full seasons. Yep, year nine. I okay. counted on my fingers because I'm good at math. Nine. Well, listen, listen, this is a feed that is shared with Ari Wasserman's math, so that is <laughs> better a better math skill than Ari has. Okay, so we're in year nine. I think people understand that these are signals of how the selection committee is working, but not necessarily locking anyone in. Still, very interesting first set of rankings you've got Tennessee at number one Ohio State number two Georgia number three Clemson at four undefeated Clemson followed by Michigan at number five on the outside looking in Alabama the first one loss team in the rankings at number six followed by unbeaten TCU Oregon USC LSU at number 10 rounding out the top 10 couple of interesting notes for me The biggest surprise was Clemson at number four ahead of Michigan. I think most of us 
including on our very staff, we had tried to project the rankings or at least give our personal thoughts. I had the first three in the exact order that the committee did. I had Michigan at number four. I think a lot of people had those four teams in different orders. Michigan is a better team. I think that they would be favored in this game. I was looking at FPI and Bill Connolly's SP+. They both would have Michigan favored in that game, either four, basically four points or on an SP+, almost 10 in that game. So I, I just think they're the better team. Michigan's getting dinged for the non-conference schedule. Clemson is getting helped by having three top 25 wins, which conveniently enough, the teams that they have them against are ranked 20, 21, and 22 in a committee poll from the same group that decided that Clemson has three top 25 wins. They gave them that at the back end. It surprised me. I don't think it is uh, something that you know, is going to be a problem because as we know, a lot of these teams are going to play each other. We also see that Michigan's got Illinois and Ohio state still to come this month. And we also know that Clemson, two of those teams for Clemson, Syracuse coming back down to earth NC state finishing out the rest of the year without Devin Leary. Very possible that some of those top 25 wins fall off. So I I ultimately not that worried about this. I don't think this is where the story ends, but that was the biggest surprise especially because Clemson was three spots separate from TCU. And in my mind, those two teams had very similar resumes and, and similar strengths and weaknesses. Um, so I was, I was surprised. I was surprised to see that separation. Yeah, number two is my takeaway, and that is uh, right there. It's TCU. Look, you and I have done these mock committees before. They fly into Dallas, or in my case, I drive over. And you go through the, the, the you know, you go through the exercise, you see all the tools that they have, and, and you come up with this thing. And there's a lot of debate. It's never any one person's decision. But you try to, as I looked at the first rankings, I tried to decide, all right, what does this committee appear to value? Nothing really stood out. Like when you when you kind of have Penn State, when you have Ohio State number two. But one thing that jumped out was Clemson. Like you said, three top 25 wins. So why then does TCU end up all the way at number seven? with two top 20 wins. That's what I didn't quite get. Yes, they had to come back and win uh, some of those games recently. Well, Clemson went to overtime with Wake Forest and had to come back to beat Syracuse. Like, they had their own issues as well. Very surprised where TCU is at. And it leaves the, it, it makes it hard, I think, for a potential one-loss Big 12 champion TCU to get in now. We've only ever had one power five champion with one loss not make it in that was ohio state a couple years ago but if tcu has one loss and is the big 12 champ it's gonna be close i i I think obviously a long way to go but tcu starting that low based on what they where they were in clemson surprised me a lot i agree and i think that it potentially could put an artificial cap on the ceiling for TCU, putting them behind a one-loss team. So we'll have to see how that continues onward. Again, the easiest thing for TCU, which is not actually easy, but that would just be to go undefeated, which is definitely not an easy thing. Okay, number three. Uh, on a more serious note, um, there is continued fallout from the, what are we calling it? The incident in the Michigan Tunnel? Michigan Stadium Tunnel? In- incident? Uh, fight? What are what are we calling it, Chris? Just don't call it a scuffle or some Michigan fans will be upset. I called it a uh, an, uh, call it an assault, a fight, uh, an attack. Attack uh, might, might a, work. A one-sided attack, I think we can say. Yes. Safely. Okay, so now we're up to eight Michigan State players who have been suspended, including Jacoby Winman, multiple-time Big Ten Defensive Player of the Week. 
Jim Harbaugh is not dropping the subject. He is the one who said that he expects there will be charges filed. Um, And now you have a prominent attorney, Tom Mars, involved in the case as well. Uh, This continues to roll on. Michigan State now has had two separate announcements of the suspensions. Obviously, everyone is looking at all of the different video footage that they have and, and figuring out what happened here. So there's still more fallout to come in terms of Again, if there are any charges, um, you know, again, whatever else Michigan State might put on there as a self-imposed penalty, they could be collaborating with the Big Ten for more penalties. We'll have to see. And then, you know, I, I'm sure there will be, as, as some people have kind of twisted the conversation and brought it to the conversation about the tunnel, um, which can be a little bit of a pressure cooker, but is how Michigan Stadium is built. I mean, I'm sure, you know, can ramp up security in some of these places um, and, and try to figure out when people are going in and off the field for both of these sides. I've, I've been in that tunnel um, when there's been jawing and some, some shoving for Michigan and Ohio State. Um, and that's just how it is. It's not supposed to get violent. It's not supposed to have someone cross the line like that. So the fallout continues. We'll get more into that and sort of how Michigan State has to play a game now against Illinois. We'll get into that later in the show on the rocks. Yes, uh, no charges against the tunnel yet. Uh, we will keep an eye out on that. Number four, Auburn is open finally. Uh, something that happened almost last year uh, has now happened. Brian Harson uh, dismissed as the head coach at Auburn uh, on Monday. He went nine and twelve there overall after a six and two start. Didn't make it through his second season. Um, you, you, we, word had kind of gotten out a few weeks ago that Auburn was waiting to hire an athletic director before letting Brian Harson go. So simultaneously, they hired John Cohen from Mississippi State, and they let uh, Brian Harson go. Cadillac Williams, those of you who remember him uh, back as a player back in the day, he is the interim head coach for the rest of the season. Uh, we will get more into Auburn uh, in a little bit later in the show as well. And number five, wrapping up the Power Five, the Big Twelve deal has final, or the Big Twelve has finalized their new media rights agreements, um, which are an extension, six-year extension, goes through 2030-31, is north of 2.2 billion. The deals, of course, are with Fox and ESPN, their current partners. Uh, Sports Business Journal first reported the news, and it will average about $380 million per year. So that will be an average payout of nearly $31.7 million per school from just the uh, media rights deal. So there's going to be revenue and payouts from the college football playoff, which is still needs to figure out how they're going to do revenue sharing for 2026 onward, and then also payouts related to the NCAA tournament. But that is the starting point. Um, you know, everyone had wondered if the Big Ten, Big 12 was going to do an extension or if they were going to wait and take this to the open market. Um, but they did it now. And I think one of the, the, the overall response to all of this has been that it was a good deal by Brett Yormark, the new big 12 commissioners come in, been very aggressive about it. And also that it's a win for stability in the college sports landscape. Yeah. Good for the big 12. I, I, I mean, I don't think a lot of us expected the number to go up per school with the loss of Texas and Oklahoma. And I think everybody kind of leaned on a comment Bob Bowlesby made last year, which was saying Texas and Oklahoma accounted for 50% of the value of their media rights at the time. But I think we we all took that comment at face value at the time, and I think we all kind of missed the context of it, which was 
Bob Bowlesby saying that in a Texas Senate hearing about the, the school, about Texas specifically leaving. So it's possible he was trying to make it seem more impactful than maybe it was uh, at the time. Big takeaway from this is that the value of football continues to go up and up and up. It's about the only thing left on TV that's valuable in terms of live television. And you see it with, with uh, the Big Ten deal, with uh, NFL deals, other sports. Uh, sports are really keeping linear TV alive at this point. And that's going to help these conferences at the, at the moment. So uh, good, good for everybody in the Big 12. It seems doubtful at this point. This convinces anybody in the Pac-12 to make a jump. Uh, Pac-12 still going through its deal reportedly potentially could be wrapped up in, in the next month or so. That number is probably going to be pretty close to the, to the Big 12 number, around $30 million or so. Probably not a number enough for anybody to make a jump uh, over at this point. So uh, good for the Big 12 and good for stability. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's a subsect of the college football internet that cares about if the number per, per school per payout per year is slightly more or slightly less between those two conferences. Um, you know, when you talk to different people in the industry, everyone expects them to be about the same. So I think, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it would be anything drastic unless a streaming partner decided to like really overpay and, and get involved there, which is, is a possibility. But all the pressure now on the Pac-12. I've been hearing three to four weeks as well for that uh, to wrap up their media rights negotiations, which they, they were on the open market. Um, they didn't need to start from scratch. Um, but still, Big 12 did move fast here on the extension. And it's notable. So congrats to the Big 12 on, on getting that done. We'll move over now to our happy hour where we talk about something good, something exciting in college football right now. Uh, briefly, I want to give a special shout out to Tulane. They are 7-1. and one. We are rolling wave over here, Chris. Yeah, number 19 in the first college football playoff rankings. Uh, that came out this week. Tulane was off last week. They played Tulsa this week. This is just the second time since 1979 that the Green Wave are in the top 25. The other was that infamous 1998 undefeated season. Sean King, Tommy Bowden, Rich Rodriguez, uh, that really fun team of that year. So good on Tulane. I've got a story came out Wednesday about kind of how Tulane got to this point. Because remember, they went 2-10 and 10 last year. This has been a remarkable turnaround. And you talk to people around the program. I talked to Willie Fritz, the coach. I talked to Troy Dan and the AD and some players. And we kind of forget that last year's team was impacted by Hurricane Ida in a major way. Remember, they were supposed to host Oklahoma. But then the hurricane hits, they have to move the entire athletic department up to Birmingham for a month. And so that kind of just got them all in a big funk. They never really got out of it. Uh, the defense was a mess. But the defense, the second half of the year really got a lot better and that's carried over into this season now where Tulane's defense is the best in the in, in the American they're they've allowed the fifth fewest plays of 30 plus yards uh, this year they're they're top 30 in yards per rush top 30 in yards per pass uh, Chris Hampton the DC should probably be up for the Broyles award I think for the top assistant coach so it's a fun time in Tulane they control their destiny in the ACC they control their destiny for the New Year's Six uh, but they've got a daunting finish to that schedule. They finish with UCF, SMU, Cincinnati, and if they get through that, probably another one of those in the AAC championship. So a long way to go, but we want to recognize and acknowledge Tulane for uh, being the highest-ranked group of five team. 
Right. And, you know, this was something that I know you looked up a couple of weeks ago was, you know, what happens if there's not a group of five teams ranked? Because the committee does decide who gets that New Year's six spot. And it didn't matter. You know, Tulane is here and they're on. They got a really nice win over K-State early in the year. Um, at times, K-State looks like, you know, they could win the Big 12. I mean, this is a good team. So only going to continue to look better and better. Did 19 feel about right for you for Tulane? I mean, I feel like it was a pleasant surprise that the committee viewed them that way, but maybe feels about right considering the way that they talked and, and put the Big 12 teams. Yes, and it's, it's the Kansas State win that puts them there. Typically, when the rankings come out, the group of five teams are a bit lower than they are in the polls. Yep. Uh, but that was not the case because... Tulane had a really good win here. Now, I put Tulane at 14, just one spot ahead of Kansas State because of the head-to-head, because I like to lean on that. But still, I think a, a, a solid job by, by the committee on that. And also, by the way, shout out, they sold out. Tulane sold out the game against Memphis two weeks ago uh, at Yulman Stadium, just the second uh, biggest crowd since the opener back in 2014. So for Tulane in New Orleans... To get a home sellout is very cool. They've got UCF and SMU still at home, and they're hoping for big crowds again. So if you're in New Orleans, check out those Green Wave. And, you know, our our, our co-worker Stu Mandel is doing a mock 12-team playoff for each week to see how the rankings would have played out. It underscores that Tulane would be in the playoff. I mean, it underscores that six highest-ranked conference champions piece when you look at it uh, all spelled out. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Other happy hour topics. Uh, How about just the games that are coming up? We've got two top 10 SEC games because the committee gave us a number 10 LSU. So they're both technically top 10 games. Um, We've got essentially an SEC East championship and essentially an SEC West championship. It's going to be a massive day of football. I mean, I think a lot of us have been waiting for this Georgia-Tennessee game. Uh, our, our coworker, David Ubbin, has a really great piece talking to different coaches who have played these teams, and it's up on The Athletic. And it really – I thought the most interesting pieces were diving through Tennessee's offense, different things that they do, and then essentially coming to the conclusion that Georgia's not really going to be able to stop them. They're going to they're gonna slow them, and they're going to have to rely on scoring themselves to, to keep pace in this game. But there was also some talk about, you know, where is Georgia's – um, depth at corner and, and different areas that they think that they can exploit. But just a lot of praise for what Tennessee is doing offensively. And I think it's going to be really fun to see it be challenged and be tested by Georgia defense. It isn't as good as last year, but it's still one of the best defenses in the country. This, this is where I have my biggest issue with the committee is that they didn't put Georgia at two and they kept us from a one versus two 
in in the polls or in, in the rankings, game of the century. It's been a while since we had a game of the century. I think LSU Alabama was the last one. In the yeah, well, season, we don't need to have a game of the yeah. We don't need to have a game of the century every ten years. It could be one. Yeah, that, that's what a century is. A, a century is ten years or so, right? I think that's no. I know. Yeah, sure. It's, is this um, Ari math again? Ari history. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um. Look, I looked up last year's game to kind of see how this went. And Georgia won that game 41-17. to I was never really all that close. What's going to jump out to me in this game is the big plays that Tennessee's offense has feasted on. They lead the nation in plays of 30-plus yards. Georgia is number 12 in fewest plays of 30-plus yards a lot. But they haven't played an offense like Hendon Hooker and this Tennessee team this year. Last, last year's game, Tennessee only had... Uh, Cedric Tillman had a big game. He had like 200 yards receiving, but no other player on Tennessee had a play of more than 15 yards. They kept those big plays to a minimum last year. So that's going to be the biggest thing I look for in this game is can Georgia slow them down that way? That offense lost, I'm sorry, that defense lost a lot from last year. Nolan Smith's now now out for the year with an injury. A lot of questions. Georgia's favored by eight. Uh, That's quite a bit. That's quite a bit of points. Have you, have you considered a pick on this game yet? At eight points. I have I have not. I will have to by the show with Ari and Andy. Sometimes with some of the bigger games, as Ari would say, they're the most challenging to pick. Um, like, I'm a believer in I Tennessee. Think I would... Yeah, I, obviously Tennessee's got some concerns on the back end of that defense, but they forced some turnovers against Kentucky, blew them out. I think I would pick. I think I would take Tennessee with the points in this one. That's what. That's where I'm leaning. And again, I reserve the right to change this. Um, but I, I do believe in this offense. I do think that, you know, whoever is going to beat them, if anyone can beat them, they're going to have to put up thirty something points at least um, and hold. You know, obviously Tennessee to that range. I just, I, I, I think it's hard, and I think Georgia still lost a lot on a defense um, that's now in the NFL. So I, you know, this is another Heisman. Moment opportunity for Hendon Hooker, but man, this this offense is just it's it's pretty dazzling and terrifying. And they just so many snaps too. I mean, at some point, you know, can Georgia's defense handle that and and be ready for just how quick they play? Um, I think it's going to be really fun. Another fun one, LSU, Alabama, which you know maybe we always circle this game. We always do, but I don't know if we have had it highlighted and underlined the same way after. The way LSU started this season with that loss to Florida State. But, you know, they were the highest two-loss team ranked by the committee. Tennessee got a lot of credit for going on the road and winning at LSU. And those are the two losses for the Tigers. I think they, you know, for anyone who wondered about Brian Kelly's fit and how he was doing with all his family, I think (laughs) they realized that this guy can coach and he can really maximize talent on a roster. So shockingly almost this is a game that's gonna probably decide the west yeah look we nobody really talked about it after um the rankings came out but lsu at 10 that was a surprise they're at 17 in the coaches bowl and 15 in the ap poll they the, the playoff committee put them at 10 that was honestly one of the biggest surprises it just didn't play into the cfp very much so we didn't talk about it but that really jumped out as well and yeah this is just one hell of a doubleheader i mean we're getting Two top 10 SEC games on Saturday. The first one on CBS, the second one on ESPN. And yeah, like, if, if you haven't watched LSU the last few weeks, Jaden Daniels has really figured things out. 
He's not he's not just running for his life all the time anymore. Check out th- this is what he's done in his last three games. Tennessee, 32 for 45, 300 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Florida, 23 for 32, 349 yards, three touchdowns. Ole Miss, 21 for 28, 250 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran for 121 yards. That he's completed he's completed more than 70% of his passes in all three of those games. He's got uh, six touchdown passes, six more rushing touchdowns. He has really figured things out with Mike Dambrock, the offensive coordinator in that offense. And, you know, typically the quarterbacks who give Alabama fits are the ones who can move a bit. So I, I think coming into this game a couple weeks ago, we wouldn't have thought much of anything. Even now, Alabama's favored by 13 and a half. We saw LSU get beat up by Tennessee a few weeks ago, but LSU's getting better as this season goes on. Yeah, they are, and this has been historically one of the best rivalries in, in college football. It's it's had a, an immense impact on national title picture, but certainly the the, the uh, SEC championship picture. You know, Alabama was the highest-ranked one-loss team. Again, we were surprised about the way that they were ahead of TCU, but also just because they've had some of these games where they just haven't looked very good, right? And, and one of the things that uh, the committee chair, Boo Corrigan, said about TCU was that they needed comebacks and that they essentially that they weren't controlling some of these games. Alabama didn't control the game against Texas with mostly a backup quarterback. Um, Alabama obviously lost to Tennessee. Alabama has looked mortal at different times. We talked about the wide receiver group um, and, and just sort of some of the weapons that we're so used to seeing, but this team still has Bryce Young and he is, you know, the reigning Heisman trophy winner. He is one of the best players in the country and he is the reason that they only have one loss at this time and the reason that they were in the game against Tennessee. So uh, very interested to see just in general what kind of Alabama we get. We've seen a lot of undisciplined performances from them this season, a lot of penalties in the Texas game and in the game at Knoxville. So, you know, can they maintain that? Can they can they play without getting flagged? Can they can they be cleaner? Can they be tougher? Um, you know, how, how is this game going to get played out? I, I agree with you. The spread does feel pretty pretty large but you know I, I maybe people aren't LSU believers maybe people haven't really been paying attention I mean I I think that you know it was really impressive the way that Tennessee went in there and basically kind of like controlled that game in an environment in Death Valley that's really challenging to play even though that was I, I think an 11 a.m kick so it wasn't the most challenging that it possibly can be um, but you know I, I do think that you're to your point they're absolutely getting better they're figuring out things offensively it's not the same team that started the season, and we need to always point that out. Teams are allowed to get better as the season goes on. You don't have to be stuck in who you were week one, or you don't have to be known for you know the special teams disasters that they've had at different points of the season as well. You know, If they clean that up, Alabama cleans up the penalties, this could be a heck of a game. And remember, Alabama on the road has struggled for the last two years, really. Auburn last year, Texas this year. Uh, LSU last year, you know, they have real, sorry, that was, I think that was actually, that was in um, uh, Bryant Denny Stadium, but but they have had some road games the last couple years. They've committed a lot more penalties on the road. Last I looked, it was something like 14 penalties per game on the road, six at home. And this game is in Baton Rouge. Uh, Both teams also coming off a bye as well. So a lot to factor in there. All right. It's time for On the Rocks. It's time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere, somewhere in the sport. And we are here to help you work through it. And this week's Rocky relationship that we're going to start with is really the state of Auburn. 
the entire athletic department, the football opening. Um, they have a new athletic director. But let's just start with the big picture at Auburn is that the word everyone keeps saying, and people say this every time that they're coaching openings, but is a really important one in this case is alignment and the idea that everyone is pulling in the same direction. And that has not always been the case. It has been very notably not the case um, over the last couple of uh, years with the athletic director and the head coach um, and just a lack of support, you know, throughout the boosters and, and the rest of the community. Auburn has a new athletic director who is very familiar with the SEC. John Cohen comes over from Mississippi State. He's going to hire a football coach. And they're going to figure out, you know, what, what success looks like because they just spent more tens of millions of dollars not to have a coach coach there. Auburn has the money. They're going to spend whatever they need to for the next coach. But this is a place with really high expectations and uh, very deep, deep pockets. Yeah, the buyouts for Gus Malzahn was about twenty-one plus million. The buyout for Brian Harson is fifteen plus million. That's all. That's the money they're getting, not subject to offset, and that doesn't even include the coaching staff. So that's almost forty million dollars just on head coaches that, that Auburn has paid to buy out coaches in this wonderful sport known as uh, amateurism. This look. Auburn, we, we know Auburn is known as a mess for a while. Uh, Brent Venables said when he took the Oklahoma... Brent Venables and Billy Napier, by the way, were up for the Auburn job last time when it went to Brian Harson. Uh, Billy Napier felt that there wasn't alignment there, didn't really know who he's reporting to. He pulls... He doesn't want the job, decides to stay at Louisiana. Now he goes to Florida. Brent Venables, when he got the Oklahoma job, said... You know, you talk to some other places and they weren't aligned. They, who who is in charge? Who are you? Who are you held accountable to? Those are big things. And so, not only does Auburn have a new AD in, in John Cohen, but they have a new president. Um, Christopher Roberts came over the past year or so. So this is the attempt here to keep everybody in line, to take recommendations from people as you see fit, but to let a president and let an athletic director. Uh, do the search and you you said at the end you said the expectations at auburn are high and they're high because they should be high because before brian harson the last four coaches either played for the national championship or had an undefeated season that is uh, gus malzahn uh, tommy tuberville uh, tommy bowden and uh, uh the other one slipped my mind uh, terry bowden sorry and uh the other one slipped my mind. So this is a place that expects to compete for national championships because it does. And it's not just an Alabama thing. Gus Malzahn went three and five against Alabama. That's pretty good. The problem with Auburn is that they have lost a couple games to AM. You 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 lose you get blown up by Arkansas last week. Those are the schools that they have to consistently be ahead of. And when it comes down to who takes this job, the names that have been uh Talked about a lot in the industry for this job for weeks for, before it even opened were Lane Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. And Lane Kiffin was asked about it, I think, on Wednesday. Just kind of kind of gave a non-answer, which is typical. It's, no, it's nothing to read or not read into that. It's just what guys say at this time of the year. Why, why would you go from Ole Miss to Auburn? Well, what we just said, Auburn can play for a national championship. They've got more money. They've got more money in NIL and stuff like that. You've seen Lane Kiffin talk about getting outbid by places like Texas A&M. So 
Auburn's a place uh, that has NIL a lot better uh, set up. So it, it's a job that has high expectations, and those are the two names that stick out at this point so far. The other one, Hugh Freeze, by the way, he did just sign a big contract at Liberty, but the buyout, I've been told, is around like $2.5 million, something that Auburn could easily pay. So there, there's another name um, that has been bandied about, really for multiple of these Power 5 jobs that have opened, but definitely this one, and that's Deion Sanders, who's done a really good job at, at Jackson State, and he's drawn a lot of really positive attention to that program, but they've also won a lot. They just had a college game day and then crushed Southern and, and won the game. Um, in your mind, I mean, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but that's a big jump to go from an HBCU and the resources and everything that you have there to a power five job, especially as we were talking about the pressure cooker that is Auburn is, do you think that Deion Sanders will be a serious candidate there? Uh, specific to Auburn, he'll probably get some attention. He'll, he will definitely get a lot of power five offers. And it, what jumps out most about Deion Sanders is one of Brian Hurston's biggest flaws, and that was recruiting. Brian Hurston did not sign a top 75 player at Auburn. The current class is near the bottom of the SEC, doesn't have a top 50, top 150 player. Uh, they're sixth in the SEC in team talent. They're also behind Texas and Oklahoma. There is not enough talent to compete for a national championship there. Well, and, and, famous, and Brian Harson, and, and Well, famously, yes. he also didn't meet and prioritize getting with all of yes. the high school coaches in the state of Alabama. Yes. Even in his second year, you've had Alabama high school coaches saying, yeah, I've never met the guy. And there have been reports about, about him skipping certain clinics and stuff like that until late in his tenure when he kind of realized what he had to do. That has to be better. Deion Sanders has recruited very well at Jackson State. He obviously signed Travis Hunter, the number one player, flipped him from Florida State last year. Deion is going to get you players. And if Auburn feels like one of the biggest things it needs to do is get players – then that's something Deion Sanders is going to do for you. There, there'll be a, there'll be a level of excitement unmatched by any, almost anybody else you can uh, can hire if you hire primetime. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting and to see you know where Auburn goes. You mentioned the NIL support. Um, I think that's been a an important factor. It's been well documented over the last week about athletic director moves and you know, head coaching moves of figuring out what that landscape looks like. It's different at every school, different approaches, different alignment, different level of organization and the amount of money being being spent there. And that's going to be a factor as well. And and Auburn is, um, you know, doing a really good job. They're very invested in, in NIL activity. So that one is well, one, one other thing about one other thing about NIL that you just mentioned. I forgot to bring this up earlier, but but the interim AD at Mississippi State, uh, Bracky Brett uh, released uh, statement today about kind of what hey mississippi state fans what can you do and he said my answer to each of them has been consistent be optimistic be present and vocal at our games and support the nil efforts of our friends at the bulldog initiative mississippi state understands the role that nil plays even in an athletic director taking another job oh john cones is mississippi state he's from there he won he he won uh, he was a baseball coach for a really long time. He's leaving his alma mater to go to a place like Auburn for like a, a more money, but not like that much more money. And clearly the resources resources of something like NIL uh, made an impression on the people at Mississippi State. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Our second and and final topic uh, for On the Rocks is about Michigan State. You went to Michigan State. You are very familiar with the different history um, and trajectory of this program. Also, um, the history of off-field incidents and responding to them. The history of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. So I will... Let you start on this, but obviously it's rocky because of the fallout from the tunnel incident last weekend. Um, now you've eight players suspended. You're going up against the team that's likely to win the Big Ten West in Illinois this weekend, one of the best teams in the country, in my opinion. Um, it's just it, this is a really challenging stretch here and a really challenging stretch for Mel Tucker, who just signed this massive contract and then things weren't going well on the field. And now you have this major black eye of uh, an, an technically off field in the tunnel, the tunnel incident. Yeah. So as everything kind of played out and there was a lot of fallout afterward and, and look, Michigan state, the, the Michigan state players are clearly in the wrong here uh, and will be uh, dealt with uh, in whatever ways coaches and potentially law enforcement see fit. And I couldn't help but think of the comparisons to a moment in Mark D'Antonio's tenure. It was also, it was his uh, third season, 2009. Uh, The team is not having the season that they expected to have. And in December 2009, a bunch of football players get in a fight with a frat uh, in a dorm, uh, Rather Hall. I was a student reporter at the time, covered a lot of this stuff. And something like about a dozen players ended up pleading guilty to, to some to some sort of misdemeanor assault or of some kind. Uh, I think four or five players uh, served jail time. Um, only, only, I think, four, maybe five of those players came back on the team the next year. There was a pretty big overhaul of a roster at that point, and a lot of, call them bad apples, kind of left the program after that. And the very next year, Michigan State wins his first Big Ten title in two decades. So that, to me, kind of felt like a defining moment where D'Antonio had to decide kind of who he wanted, what kind of people he wanted in his program. 
and Michigan State went on a great run after that. Now, obviously, there were more off-the-field issues in that program in the coming years, but Mel Tucker's kind of in that spot now. This is his third year, and he's got a lot of players involved in a pretty ugly incident, and he has to determine what kind of tone he wants to set for this program moving forward because, like we said, he's not going anywhere. He's not getting fired over this. Uh, He's not probably doing a good enough job to take another job. Uh, So he's got to figure out here how to kind of reset the culture of what he wants and they suspended eight players including Winman, like you said probably one of their best defensive players and now you've got Illinois the best defense in the country uh, that you've got to play you've also got Penn State on the schedule too so they've got they can they're three and five now if they want to make a bowl game they got to win at least three of these last four but I think bigger than that is this is the first big disciplinary moment for Tucker and we'll see how he handles this and what it means for the program moving forward. So I just wanted to bring that up because it was just a, a big takeaway for me is just comparing that to that moment for D'Antonio in his third year as well. So uh, this feels like one of those defining moments in a culture type of way for Tucker. And the, every coach talks about culture. Everyone talks about this. And no one's painting a broad brush here about the entire Michigan State program. But how you respond to something like this does does set your culture. It does define who you are moving forward. Um, and how you handle the the bad actors involved in this. And so Michigan State has now twice issued uh, statements and suspensions. There's still more fallout to come. We still don't know if there will be um, charges. We also still don't know um, what sort of punishment might come from the Big Ten. So there's, there's still a lot to go from here. But yes, absolutely an inflection point um, and a really important disciplinary moment for Michigan State. Um, and then, yeah, they got to play. They got to play a football game this weekend uh, coming out of this against Illinois. So it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out um, and how Mel Tucker continues to handle this. Okay, it is time for our last call. This is cheers or jeers. Whatever you might say as the bar is closing, get one final drink and you're going to cheers to it. Um, we going to rant? Are you going to rave? Uh, I will go first because uh, I'm going to save Chris's compliment for as long as possible since it is related to our student newspaper rival student newspaper rivalry couldn't say rivalry there for a second i will say though that mine is a cheers my last call goes to lane kiffin we know he's a big taylor swift fan he was tweeting about midnights at midnight when the new album came out he posts a clip playing taylor swift at practice playing anti-hero and he's talking to his quarterback uh, Jackson Dart to motivate him. He's talking about the lyrics. He tweets it out about not staring at the sun without staring in the mirror. Great lesson for a quarterback at Ole Miss in the Power Five in college football at large. And uh, basically, just shout out to Lane Kiffin. He embraces his inner Swifty. It's relevant. There's a lot of crossover content between people who love college football, people who love Taylor Swift. I hope he got the, through on the pre-sale registration so he can go see T-Swift in concert when she goes on tour next year. Um, but yeah, just cool. He's just fun. I mean, we, we talk a lot about Lane Kiffin's social media use. It's way, it's unlike anyone else in college football, especially a coach in a major program. But I just love that he's literally carrying this over into practice and pay, playing Taylor Swift at practice uh, and talking to his players. Do you, do you know the song? Do you, do you recognize it? Have you been listening? I just love that. Your mission to get Taylor Swift onto every episode of this podcast every week continues unabated. Well, we're on like a, it's like a three week stretch here. 
We're on fire. That's true. No, look, they, look, the album just came out. They just announced the tour. Have you gotten the tickets yet? You said you were trying. No, so it is. Um, you have there's a pre-sale registration, and then you find out if you are then in the pre-sale group that will like have a confirmed ticket you can buy at a certain time. Uh, the pre-sale sign up crashed Ticketmaster, so it does not bode well for any of us to actually get tickets in a real pre-sale. But I'm sure Lane Kiffin can. Well, God, Godspeed uh, on your attempt to get those tickets. My. I guess it's technically a cheer because it has to be is my uh, paying up of my wager, which was the Michigan Daily beat the state news once again in a touch football game last year. Nicole's clapping. Uh, And as part of our wager, I said we had to say something nice about the other paper. So this is my sad attempt to do that. I I will say, and this dates back to when I was a student at the state news and you were at the Michigan Daily, um, was that you guys always did really big, long feature stories on Fridays and I always thought those were really good I don't know if the daily still does that but you guys are given the freedom the space to go deep on big feature stories and as a college student I think that's incredibly valuable so I thought the Michigan Daily did a good job of that and also you've obviously produced some good uh some good journalists like uh Stephen Nesbitt our colleague uh, Max Boltman uh some other people that are out there as well so this is me uh paying up Saying some positive things about the Michigan Daily, and uh, and, and and that is that. And I, and I will say, look, again, talking about the fight in the tunnel. How much does it? How 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 how? What kind of role does this tunnel play? All I'll say is that one of the years that Nicole and I played each other, she almost got in a fight with somebody, and there was no tunnel, so it Twice. can just happen sometimes. Twice in the same game. Yes, it. You don't need a tunnel. Um, to have hate. I will say that the Michigan Daily and the State News, I think, have a very healthy level of respect, which is where Michigan, Michigan State should be. It should not be where someone's crossing the line. The I've been saying this all week, but like the idea of like a football fight, which we all know what that looks like versus a bar fight and like the line being crossed. Like we saw, we, we know that that line was crossed. Um, but there's great rivalries that have a lot of hatred on the field in the moment that have a lot of respect outside of it. So I think that's where the daily state news are. I mean, for one week a year, we, you know, we, we rib each other and I was getting like live updates of, of this game to make sure that the shutout streak was, was still uh, in, in effect. And the daily did shut them out and they had, I didn't get any updates. So that told me how it was going. Yep. Yep. Um, that's about fair. And I think they even like had Mr. Brightside queued up to play just like Michigan stadium does anyway. And they pop champagne. I, I respect all of it for the Michigan daily. Really glad that they did that. And it was lovely to hear your compliment. We might have to have some more bets, um, about things that are less important than a student newspaper journalism, uh, touch football game, but we'll see. We'll see if we come up with something else for later in the year. Uh, but that will do it for this week's Power Hour. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next Thursday.